0: Has anybody heard of a um, writer named uh, Michael Hyatt? Anybody know who that is? Michael Hyatt? No, nothing. He's a, um, I really enjoy him as a writer and speaker. And he, ha- he happens to be a Christian, but really what his business is that he started, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, is to help people grow in productivity, uh, in focus, um, and in like achieving their goals. And one of the barriers uh, to growth and achievement that he's identified he calls limiting beliefs. And he says that a limiting belief is a misunderstanding of the present that shortchanges our future. And He says there's three kinds of limiting beliefs. There could be a limiting belief about the world around us. There could be a limiting belief about other people. There could be a limiting belief about ourselves. And a limiting belief, he says, is an assumption that gives us a distorted view of the world, others, or ourselves. And so he gives some examples. A limiting belief about the world might be, well, there's no way to succeed in this economy. A limiting belief about others might be, they're too busy to help me, or they wouldn't be interested in what I have to tell them. A limiting belief about yourself would be, I'm just not good at this, or that's just not the way I'm wired. And so he says these limiting beliefs keep people from uh, growing or being productive or accomplishing their goals. And they're similar to what people call a fixed mindset uh, versus a growth mindset. And Katie told me about this as a teacher, something they talk about. If you have a fixed mindset you believe your intelligence and your talents are fixed. You're just given them, and there's really no way to change them. That there's things you're just not good at, and there's no changing it. Either you're good at something or not. And a a growth, and Katie always tries to get students when they say, well, I'm I'm just not good at math. And she tries to get them to say, well, that's really a fixed mindset, but you can get good at math. You're not stuck there where you're at. And a growth mindset believes it's possible to change, and, and failures and obstacles and challenges are just opportunities to kind of grow or something to get around or get better at something. And so instead of saying, I'm not good at this, you would say, I'm not good at this yet. If you have a growth mindset, fixed mindset is I'm not good at this, growth mindset is I'm not good at this yet. And Michael Hyatt connects um, limiting beliefs um, to the difference between scarcity a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset, or a scarcity mentality and abundance mentality. And a scarcity mindset sees a lack of resources. Things are just kind of getting smaller. Whatever your share is in the world, it's like that's kind of, this is all I'm getting and that's getting smaller. Everyone's kind of eating up a piece of the pie and it's, yeah, there's a scarcity of resources. Things are getting smaller, they're running out, and so you don't have enough and so you need to just kind of keep what you have and hoard it because I have a scarcity and there's a scarcity in the world. I need to keep what I have. And then an abundance mindset, you see opportunity, and possibility in everything. There's plenty to go around. And the, the, the most common kind of picture we probably all know about with, to compare these two mindsets is, okay, is the glass half empty or is it half full? An abundance mindset would say, look, it, I, you know, I have a glass half full of stuff. Scarcity would say, I just don't quite have enough. I, you know, I need more. And this, I'm lacking. And right now, as I said last week, we're in a sermon series laying out our growth theme for the year. I kind of like to think in growth themes where it's kind of like this is what the whole year, things are going to hopefully tie in um, everywhere to this. And our vision for 2022, and the title for the series is Inviting Others to Surrender All of Life to Jesus. And what I want us to do as a church is to go on a journey together of learning what does it look like to for this to kind of be a natural overflow out of ourselves, that we're inviting others to surrender their lives to Jesus, where it's not like Okay, guys, this is the theme for the year. Like we just got to do this, but how do we actually get to a place where it's like I'm feeling, you know, I've surrendered to Jesus. I'm just feeling last week we talked about the difference Jesus makes in our lives. And when we surrender to Jesus, He makes this big difference. And it's like, man, I just can't help but hold it in. I just want to tell people, and maybe we've forgotten about the difference, or we kind of are just so busy, we're not thinking about what Jesus has done for us, but I want this to be a year of learning and growing together, of deepening our thankfulness and joy. So, that we'd be pouring out that to others by telling them about Jesus. And as I said last uh, week, we talked about um, how one of the most personal and powerful ways to tell us about Jesus is to tell them Jesus, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And all these sermons, they're not, they're not like building on each other, it's more like a, a string made up of several chords, and they're kind of all intertwined around each other. So, if you, you know, missed last week, I'd encourage you to listen to the sermon. Um, but you're not going to be like, oh, I missed last week, so now I'm lost. Um, but this, this morning, the theme is going to be that we are blessed to be a blessing. And how are we blessed? In what ways are we blessed? And then what does that look like to be a blessing to others? And we started off thinking about limiting beliefs, a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, or scarcity thinking versus abundance thinking. And similarly, you can live believing that you've been blessed, believing that, uh, you have many things that have been given to your life. Or you can live a life feeling like, I kind of don't have that much. Like, I haven't really been blessed that much. And so I want to, I think there was, a, there was a sermon I did in December and we kind of talked about a similar question. A couple of weeks ago at our um, Gospel Community Time, we, we were talking about blessing as well. So this is a bit different question than we talked about those times. And I want us to think about when you believe and feel you are blessed, what difference does that make in your attitudes and actions? We're not going to wait for it, but if you throw it out, just throw out what you think. When you believe and feel you are blessed, what difference does that make in your attitudes and actions? What do you think? Or maybe not what you think, what have you experienced? You feel hopeful. Feel hopeful, yeah. Okay. Happy and encouraged. Happy and encouraged, yeah. comfortable and confident, comfortable and confident. Yeah, maybe not stressed like I don't have enough You're like, it. Okay. I just kind of be comfortable in what I've been given. And like you, you can share. Yeah, but you can share. I mean that's right. we're trying to teach us. <laughs> Hudson is like you have a lot of toys.
1: You don't have you can sit. you can
0: share them when your cousins are here. You don't need No, that's fine. That's mine, you know, hoard them all to himself. Yeah, you can share. Anything else? Thank you. You feel like you're in a better place if something challenging or difficult does come around. You're sort of more prepared or in a better place to handle it or kind of approach that situation. Okay, as opposed to like, well, it's just one more thing that's like, you know, taxing me or whatever. It's like, well, i got a lot and I can handle this. So, yeah. Well, this theme of blessing runs throughout the Bible, and in fact, you can retell the whole story of the Bible using the theme of blessing from the beginning to the end, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to retell, well, you notice we had four scripture readings as we were preparing, and that's because that was just some of them we're going to use, we're not going to like flip to a bunch of passages and go deep in them, we're just going to retell the whole story of the Bible using the theme of blessing, and if you think of blessing, we might think like... um, like, well, am I blessed by having money or a good job? And those certainly are blessings, but the, the primary and ultimate blessing in life is God with us, God being present with us, a relationship with God. And if you look at the whole Bible, you see that when God is with people, there's blessing, and when God isn't with people, it's a curse. So God's presence is a blessing. God's absence is a curse. And so naturally, as we start the story, we'll start in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates this good world he forms it, and then he fills it with you know, animals and fish and birds and human beings and, and whatnot. And God creates a good world through his wor- word and by his spirit. And the days of the week are kind of like this uh, um, format for how, the, how, God was, how it's explaining the way God created the world. And five times we're told God saw that it was good. And after creating humanity, on the sixth day, God says it is very good and then we read Genesis 1, to 28, uh, where God says, we're going to make human beings in our image and likeness. And so he makes man and woman in his image. And then in verse 28, it says, God bless them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the living, every living thing that moves on the earth. And many call this the creation mandate. God creates humans and he kind of gives them this mission of, I want, you're made of my image and likeness, which means we reflect what he's like. And we're supposed to represent um, what he would do in any given situation. And he says, oh, you're made of my image. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to you know, subdue it. doesn't mean just you know, take advantage of it, but he wants human beings to care for the earth in the way that he would care for it, to love each other as he has loved them. And so uh, we're sent out with this mission statement, our original job description, to love God, love each other, take care of God's creation. So God blesses the first human beings, has this blessing over them, fill the earth, and do this. And so when we begin the story of the Bible, it kind of starts with, once upon a time, we were blessed by God. God blessed the human beings. But then all goes horribly wrong in Genesis 3. A creature in rebellion against God comes in the form of a serpent and gets Adam and Eve to really believe you're not blessed. God's kind of holding out on you. You need to really take matters into your own hands. You need to define what's good and what's bad uh, from your perspective. Don't trust him. He's not giving you uh, everything he could give you. And so instead of living their lives with God on the throne, human beings decide, well, we don't really want a world with God in charge. Adam and Eve decide, we want to be on the throne of our lives instead and to live on our own terms. And this turning from God led to brokenness, a broken relationship with God Broken relationship with each other, a broken relationship with the creation where we kind of like violate it now for our own purposes. And when God comes to them uh, while they're ashamed and hiding, He reveals your decision has brought curse upon everything. The creation's cursed, your relationship with each other is cursed, your, it's just everything's a mess now. I had blessed you and now because you turned away from me and didn't want me in charge, this is what a world is like when humans are running it. And Adam and Eve were commissioned to reflect and represent God, but instead they decided they wanted to be God, and they get sent out of God's presence. The blessed life was living with God and being in the, in the world, um, in the way, and taking care of the world in which God wanted us to do it. And then Genesis 3-11 through 11 records the spread of this curse, um, of how it just affects everything, and humanity just keeps getting worse and worse. Humanity without God in charge are ruiners. We ruin stuff, we break things, and a world without God in charge is ruined, broken, and cursed. But then in Genesis 12, which Katie read for us, God comes to this one guy and says, I'm choosing you, Abram. Who later gets called Abraham. I'll probably keep mixing those up. But I'm choosing you, Abram. And I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. God's plan to restore blessing to his world is through Abraham and his family. And so let's reread Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I'll curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now it's interesting if you would just replace uh, the name Abram with the name Jesus. You would very you would be like oh that's kind of like what you know Article Ten of our statement of faith says we la- read last week of like everybody who trusts in Jesus is blessed everyone who rejects him is going to be cursed and God so God chose Abraham God chose to bless Abraham God chose to bless Abraham so that Abraham would be a blessing and God promised I'm going to make you into a great nation and through that nation I'm going to bless the world God's plan is to bring blessing back to the world through. Abraham and his family. And later, as I said, he changed his name to Abraham from Abram to Abraham, and then Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and God says, Jacob is the one through whom I'm going I'm to continue this plan of blessing. And then Jacob had twelve sons, and those sons became the twelve tribes of Israel. Abraham's family grew into the nation of Israel, and God's plan is to bless Israel so that they would then be a blessing to the rest of the world. It wasn't Israel, I'm just going to bless you because I like you better and I don't care about everyone else. But his plan was that there would be kind of this channel through which God blesses things. And you can picture kind of Israel as a pipe. Or uh, on one end, you have like, if the pipe is lined up correctly, let's pretend this pipe, God is pouring blessing into them. And on the other end, he wants blessing to flow out of them. He's pouring blessing in, blessing flows out. So they are blessed, but they're also a channel of God's blessing um, to the rest of the world, to pour it out on them, or you can think of a sponge. Is that a, God wants them to? He wants to pour His blessing on them, and then they soak that up. And then, you know, if you touch a wet sponge, it gets you wet. And so now you're supposed to, you're supposed to spread that blessing out to the rest of the world, as they're filled and soaked up um, with soaking up God and all that He wants to be for them. And the the thing that God does with them is He comes to dwell among them, just like in the Garden of Eden. God says, "I'm going to now dwell among you," and that's the way they're distinct from the rest of the world is they have God with them. God's presence is a blessing, and they're supposed to be a blessing to other people. The problem is that for the most part, Israel failed horribly. Uh, like Adam and Eve, they continually wanted to be on the throne instead of God. They continually didn't want God to be in charge of their nation, and they turned from God, so they didn't reflect or represent what, what God is like. And so, you know, if the pipe gets turned away from the source and it turns somewhere else, now it's no longer receiving. A blessing of God, a relationship with God, and so they're no longer pouring it out. They just become, you know, just like everybody else who's turned away from God. And so like Adam and Eve, they fail as God's image bears and turn from God. And if the sponge or the pipe turns away, they can no longer bless. If you're not blessed, you cannot be a blessing. And so God sends messengers called prophets, turn back to God, turn back. We need to turn our relationship back to him. We need to not put our eyes on whatever other things, we need to turn back to him, receive the blessing of relationship with him, and we'll be his blessing to all nations. And But God knew that they would fail, and so he promises, I'm going to raise up a human, another image bearer, who will never turn from me. He will truly reflect what I'm like. He will represent what I'm like to the nations. And he's going to be, my, my blessing is going to flow to the world through him. He would choose one person from the nation of Israel to be king would lead the nation of Israel back to God, and not only the nation of Israel, but all nations? And centuries later, a thirty-year-old Jewish man from the rural town of Nazareth came into the region of Galilee in Israel and started telling people. Where said he begins proclaiming the gospel of God, saying that time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And of course, we know this to be Jesus. This message was simple but explosive. Good news, the time we've all been waiting for, the time that God said he was going to raise up somebody, a king to come to earth and to bring this nation back, to bring blessing back to Israel and blessing back to the nations, that time has come. It's now. It's fulfilled. Believe the good news. Believe this good news that the time is fulfilled that we've all been waiting for. Turn back to God. Turn from whatever you're trusting in. And Jesus taught with authority. He commanded demonic evil, unclean spirits with authority. He had control over disease and death. He told the wind and the waves what to do, and they listened. He healed people of their sicknesses and diseases. And through Jesus, people saw the reversal of the curse. People experiencing brokenness and cursing in their lives of sickness and death and sin and poverty and being oppressed. Jesus comes in. He begins healing all of that. What was corrupt is cured. What was broken Uh, is healed. What was wrong is made right. And through Jesus, the blind are beginning to see. The deaf could could hear. Those who are dead are being raised. People who couldn't walk are walking again. People who couldn't talk are talking again. And so Jesus stepped into the chaos of this world and into the chaos of people's lives and he brings healing. He brings wholeness. He brings restoration. He releases people and restores people. He brings salvation. In other words, Jesus brought God's blessing to a cursed world. And Jesus didn't bring God's blessing to the spiritual elite. He didn't go to the religious clubhouses. He didn't try to become part of the in crowd. Jesus came to free those who had been pushed down and who had been pushed out, people who were no longer included in with the activities of the nation. He went to the outsiders. He went to the hurting. He went to the rejected, the oppressed, the broken. He went to the worst Sinners. He went to people who had made a complete mess of their lives. And when asked about the kind of people he was hanging around with, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And doctors don't hang around with healthy people. Doctors spend their time with sick people. And Jesus came for a doctor for people who are sick with sin. He came with love, compassion, grace. And mercy, and he blessed those people. He came to a world cursed and broken and offered wellness and health and salvation. And Jesus redefined who is blessed. We read from Matthew chapter 5 earlier in his sermons. He makes it clear that people who are success, successful now and well off and popular are not the blessed ones. You may think, like watching Hollywood, oh, those people are really blessed. Watching millionaires, those are people who are really blessed. And Jesus says, no. That's how the world measures blessedness. But in God's kingdom, you are blessed if you turn from this world's way of doing things and instead turn to God and have a relationship with him. That's the people, Those are the people who are really blessed. And most importantly, Jesus came to give people what humanity had lost when Adam and Eve turned from God. A relationship with God, connection with God, the presence of God. And life is found in knowing God And that was lost. But Jesus said, I have authority to give you eternal life. What you lost, so way back when in ancient history, I've come to give that to you again. And so Jesus had a lot going on for him. He was helping people. He had a lot of followers. He was very popular among people who were hurting and sick and having issues. He had all these followers and people believed this is the guy the prophets were talking about. This is the Messiah. This is the God's anointed one. This is God's chosen servant. The king is going to do all the things that God has been telling us he's going to do. But then he died. Which is like, okay, great career, but it was really cut short. If only he could have gone, kept going another 10 or 20 years. He was rejected and killed by the very people he came to save. But his death was not a defeat. Instead, it was a victory. It was the actual way that God was going to open up this life of blessing with him to other people. And it wasn't just that he was put to death by the people of Israel, but he was put to death for the people of Israel. It wasn't just that humanity put him to death, but it was that he was dying for humanity on our behalf. And Jesus entered into and took upon himself the death and the curse and the brokenness that we deserve. And because he took it on him, he now has opened a way for us to come back into relationship with God, to be forgiven. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead, proving that everything he said he was, was true, and everything he said he was going to do actually happened. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. He's the Son of God, King of the Kingdom of God, the God of Israel, who came to his people in the flesh, and then died for us, and was resurrected. And then after his resurrection, Jesus commissions his followers. He says in John 20, as, I, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He said, as we read in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the new mission given to Christ. Humanity. It's kind of like the creation mandate, the, you know, bless you, go, be fruitful, multiply. It's kind of like 2.0. Jesus is saying, that failed, and now all nations are going to be blessed through my followers who are going with me. I'm always with them to the very end of the age. I'm bringing blessing back to the world, and that's what he sends us to do. Then the Apostle Paul, writing 20 years later after Jesus' death and resurrection, connects the proclamation of the gospel to the theme of blessing. And we saw this in our Christmas series. In Galatians 3, he says, the gospel was announced to Abraham back in Genesis 12 as blessing. God said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And so the gospel is, if you want to think it one way, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you with himself. God wants to bless you with his presence, with a a relationship with him. God wants to return you to the blessing you're meant to live in. God wants to pull you back into the blessing of a relationship with him. And so then we might ask, well, who can get in on this blessing? What does it require? This sounds great. And Paul is in complete agreement with Jesus on who this good news is for. Jesus went to the poor, the broken, the beat up. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not the people who have it all together. Jesus came as a doctor to people cursed because of sin. You don't have to clean up your life and get your act together. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to prove you deserve it. No, all you have to do is bring all your sin, all your mess, all your brokenness to God, and He will come into your life. Whatever is broken because of the curse and because of sin, He will heal. And so the good news is this. God blesses people who are completely undeserving of it. God blesses sinners. God blesses rebels. God blesses lawbreakers. God blesses the ungodly. God blesses His enemies. God pours his favor out on people who would never deserve it and he could never earn it. And that's grace. And all you have to do is receive it. And the image of Jesus as a doctor is just a great way to think about what Jesus came to do. Because it's like This is a world cursed and broken and sick with sin. And then Jesus comes as a doctor and says, I'm not looking for the healthy people. I'm looking for the sick people because all these people are sick and I'm coming to bring healing of wholeness and life back to you you and God said to Abraham and you shall all the nations be blessed God blesses the nations through Jesus God's far-off great-grandson and then Jesus sends his disciples who've been blessed by him to then be a blessing to the world and in Revelation 5 the song in heaven sung to Jesus around the throne tells us that God accomplishes what he set out to do he's successful Revelation 5 9 to 10 says, uh, talking to Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so the blessed life is a life with God, and the cursed life is a life without God. The blessed life has God; the cursed life lacks God. The Bible begins and ends with God dwelling among his people. In the opening chapters of Genesis, he's dwelling among his people in a garden. In the final chapters of Revelation, he's dwelling among his people in a garden city. God's blessing is his presence, which comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if we think that, uh, and if we get our heads around this, that God relationship with God is the greatest blessing, then you could lose everything and you wouldn't be any less blessed. And you could gain everything and you wouldn't be any more blessed. Why? Because you have the one thing, the one blessing that matters most of all, and that's God himself. When I watch movies like Lord of the Rings, I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings. I never really felt this way with Star Wars, but Lord of the Rings especially made me feel like that would be so... Cool to be with them, doing that. Like, what if that's what my life was like? This epic, you know, quest, this epic battle, running around and like fighting off evil and stuff. It's like that would be amazing to be part of that. (laughs) And the truth is, we're part of something much bigger and better than that. You're in a much bigger and better story than any movie or book can give you. You're part of the history-changing, eternity-defining plan of God to bring blessing back to his broken and cursed creation. And the Christian life is bigger and better than be a good person and go to church. I mean, that is so bland and lame, right? That's not the story we're in. The purpose of our life is not be a good person and go to church. Of course, we do those things, but it's because we're part of a much bigger story. What would change if you saw yourself swept up into uh, and participating in God's grand story of restoring humanity in this world. And the God of the universe controls all time and all history. And he's come into your life and pulled you into the greatest story ever told. And the question is, are you living in that story? Do you see yourself as a, a character in that grand plan and that grand story? And of course, being a good person and coming to a church service being involved in a church is part of how we participate in that. But if we're just like, my duty is just to you know try to be a good person and go to church. It's like, that's such a small way of seeing why we would be a good person and why we would be involved in a church. We've been blessed to be a blessing. and So the main question to ask yourself is, do you see yourself as blessed? Do I see myself as blessed? When you wake up in the morning, can you just breathe, take a deep breath and be like, I'm so blessed. That's my life. That's what God has done for me. Do you believe you're blessed? Do you feel blessed? Do you see yourself as having an abundance? Or do you live as if you have a scarcity, that you never have enough? Do you live as if God is holding out on you and there's a much better version of your life that he has not given you? And, you know, Laurel is kind of bringing this up, as if we have this, if we know how much we have, it's much easier to deal with setbacks or giving to other people. Like, if you think if your bank account is full... Then somebody asked you for 50 bucks. I was like, cool, you know. But we often forget how full our bank account is with God, our spiritual, relational bank account with him, and our future physical bank account. And Adam and Eve entered into a cursed existence when they turned from God. And they turned from God because they stopped seeing God as good and generous and gracious and loving. They didn't see him as a loving father on whom they could rely to always do what was best for them. In other words, Adam and Eve stopped seeing themselves as blessed. They stopped seeing themselves as blessed by God. And they stopped uh, believing they were blessed. And we return to a life of blessing when we turn back to God. We return to a life of blessing when we see God as good and generous and gracious and loving. As a loving Father who always does what's best for us. And so I've observed the way Jesus acts in the Gospels and the things he taught and then I've kind of wondered, what are the beliefs down deep in him that bring him to act in the ways he does, or that bring him to teach the things he does? And I think one way to sum up kind of the beliefs that undergird Jesus' life and teaching, in a simple way, is that he believed God's got this and God's got me. And if you just if you imagine for every day whenever what happens, you just believe God's got this. And God's got me. He knew who He was because He knew whose He was. He knew I belonged to God. God's got this. He always just feel like, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't, you know, look at the flowers. They're clothed, you know, very beautiful. Um, look at the birds. They're not struggling for food. God's got this. And God's got you. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. Jesus had total faith in His Heavenly Father. And a cursed way to live is to believe it's all about me, and it's all up to me. That's really what Adam and Eve chose and now what we continue to choose. It's all about me and it's all up to me. And I've noticed that the more I focus on what is missing, what I don't have, not just materially, it could be relationally, it could be whatever, the uh, more I focus on what is wrong, what is not how it should be or how I want it to be, the more angry and anxious I become and the more I can sit in uh, seeing just what's in front of me and what God's given me, I feel a lot less angry and a lot less anxious. But the more I see what I'm missing or what's wrong or what I want to happen that isn't happening, the more angry and anxious I become. And you can count your blessings on a spiritual level. You know, So, Ephesians 1.3, do you believe you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ? That we have the same spiritual blessings as Jesus, righteous, blameless, a beloved child of God, uh, an heir of uh, a life with God, in a new creation. Um, God's presence with us. God loves us and even likes us. Those are all the spiritual blessings. But then also, you can count your blessings on a physical level. You know, I'm, all, I'm challenged over and over again. I mean, Kind of the basic ways you pray are thanking God, asking God for help. So that's what we're teaching Hudson and it's like every day <clears throat> on the way to school we're thanking God for things. Our clothes, our shoes, our car, teachers, friends, the food we have. And it's like, do I really believe that those are coming from God. It's like really challenging to me to get into a childlike faith, which is what we're challenged to do, of like, yeah, I'm just dependent on all this stuff for God. Like, sure, I use the money to buy it, but there's no guarantee that I have any money to buy it. And it's like, you know, thank you, God, for these things. And you can count your blessings using time. In the past, how has God blessed you? In the present, how is God blessing you? In the future, how will God bless you? And you can kind of count blessings that way. And I read a book last year, this, I've got all my goodies up here, this book, it's called 1,000 Gifts. And her whole kind of goal, Ann Voskamp's goal, was about her experience of accepting a challenge from a friend to make a list of 1,000 gifts in your life. Basically 1,000 ways you've been blessed, 1,000. And it, it is a lot, because I've been trying it. and. You're supposed to write down a thousand things you're thankful for, and it's a, a challenge that forces us to see all the ways that God is active and present and blessing our lives, and to actually receive the many gifts God is giving us. And this journey changed her life I made It made her into a different person. She wrote a book about it, and I thought it was very insightful. And I started my list last August of last year, and then by the end of December, I got to about a hundred. And this year, I'm going to try to complete it. I've made kind of that's one of my year goals. Is I want to Get to a thousand. I want to do a thousand gifts that I see in my life. And if you break that down, it requires writing about three things a day that I see as a gift. And here's my little booklet that I'm writing it in. It's just like, okay, I just, you know, number one, number two, one, three. And I want to invite you to do this challenge with me this year or consider something like it. Like, I want to write down a thousand gifts or blessings that I see in my life. Um, you try to complete it by December 31st of next year. And if you're kind of wondering, I don't know what that would look like, you've got to start getting you know, kind of creative in a way, because it's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I'm thankful for my wife and my son and my house. And, you know, it gets you to maybe like 30 to look around at the things that are obvious. And then a thousand, you're like out of it. So here's my last of the things I wrote down this morning. 103, number 103. Our windshield fluid working without me having to fix it. 104, snuggling with Hudson before putting him into bed after he fell asleep in the car. 105, my ESV study Bible. 106, Harry Potter illustrated books, which I'm reading, Katie got for Christmas. Number 107, the seminary education I received. And it's like at the end of the day, sitting there like, you yeah, know, how? Yeah, okay, I got the food, I got all that down. It's like, what? How did I see God blessing me today, giving me gifts in my life? And one of the unique ones. <laughs> it's like, I can be really frustrated with toys on the floor. It's like, wow, this house is a mess. And one of the things I wrote down one week was, I have a mess in my house, and that is a blessing, because it means I have a son to make that mess. And he you started you know, trying to look at things in different ways. And um, a few, uh, back in November, my spiritual director, Bill, uh, preached here. And one of the things he tries to do is receive all of life as gift. That everything that happens, the good, the bad, the in between, you're perceiving it all as a gift. And there's a reason that expressing gratitude and thanksgiving is almost synonymous with worship in the Bible. That when people start stop giving thanks to God, Romans one, it means they've stopped worshiping God. They've turned away from Him. And because gratitude and thanksgiving are really the basic I don't know, foundation or how we want to say it of worship. That we're expressing thanks to God and seeing what we do And Anne Voskamp in her book writes, when I realize that it is not God who is in my debt, but I who am in his great debt, then doesn't all become gift? And when we count everything as a gift, it means we're acknowledging that someone gave it to us, and we're lifting our hearts to God in thanksgiving. And some people would say that gratitude is the on-ramp to joy. And ultimately our joy isn't in the gift, but in the one who has been giving it. And She makes the observation that because thankfulness is always possible, that means joy is always possible. So I like to think of it as the key to joy is gratitude. And the key to gratitude is receiving all of life as a gift, each day filled with gifts to be unwrapped from God. And It's about a perspective shift. And so as we go into this year, continuing this year, I just want us to see we've been blessed in order to be a blessing and it's not necessarily, I mean, the material things are something God's blessed us with, but ultimately we've been blessed with a relationship with God. So we would then be a blessing that we would treat people how God's treated us, that we would share, like Biff was saying, share the things God has given us, and That we'd be inviting people into that relationship as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for blessing us, for giving us everything we need, for rescuing us spiritually and relationally with you, for being a person who's mending and healing our relationships now. And God, would you please help us just feel and believe that we are blessed in immense ways, primarily by your presence in our life. In your sense of name we pray. Amen.